Hey everyone, thanks for watching. If you'd like to see more Hemisync podcasts, such as Episode 8 with Dean Radin, podcasts that aren't necessarily associated with any particular Hemisync product, but simply feature fascinating guests and subjects associated with the frontiers of consciousness research and understanding, please consider joining our exclusive Patreon page and get some great discounts on Hemisync products in the bargain. Hey, thanks for joining us for the Hemisync Podcast. Our guest today is Marla Fries, author of the new book, American Psychic, currently in the number one position in the Kindle store for occult and ESP. Before she was a, a published author and a practicing psychic medium, Marla was an actress. And so um, if you have the video feed, I'm about to play you a clip of her highlights. As you watch, just know that she gave it all up to talk to dead people. Enjoy. The value that I find in, in a psychic, a real good psychic, it's like therapy. It's a positive therapy session. Hello? You know, there's actually one that I've really wanted to see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a new one who's supposed to be phenomenal. Okay, listen, my frame of reference as a psychic profiler is if I'm in the car right here, I'm feeling things, so I'm gonna step out. Marla Fries is a regular co-host on Whitley Strieber's Dreamland. Marla is the psychic medium expert on the show and interviews best-selling authors on their cutting-edge books. Where is the woman who loves to roll up her sleeves and get into the middle of a good fight? I appreciate what you're trying to do, Clark. Clark! Clark! The mayor just called a press conference to announce the new chief of police. Perry wants us down there right away. Taxi! Can I get something to drink? Uh, I'm afraid not. What's with this airline? What are you, cutting out the drinks now? No, sir, we're flying into a blizzard. Please fasten your seatbelt. We're making an emergency landing. Are they going to go up with the instructions again? I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. Excuse me, are you Miles Silverberg? You know, people make that mistake all the time. Actually, I'm George Stephanopoulos. Nice. A pig and a coward. You should know the guy was misquoted. Oh, right. They're always misquoted. He's a pig. And anyone who defends him is a pig, too. In fact, I, I'd be willing to talk over those issues with you over a drink sometime. <laughs> Heck, I'll even let you pay. <laughs> you disgust me. Yes, Jerry, don't you have anything better to do than to pick a fight with a moron? <laughs> Just who are you calling moron? Your husband, you painted husband. <laughs> You know, I heard about you cocktail waitresses. Rodney, it's not that easy. I'm honest. I'll work hard. But there's just one more thing. If you want me to work here, you're going to have to f*** me. I'm going to hire both of you. Thanks for joining us. We're here with Marla Fries today, author of her new book, American Psychic, which chronicles your youth growing up in suburban, rural Pennsylvania, there's nothing suburban about no, it. Rural, rural <laughs> Pennsylvania. It defines rural, yeah. It's the farmlands. It's America. It's the heartland of America, yeah. But um, everything that entails, your interest in kind of drama and theater, and how that took you through Milwaukee, Chicago, eventually to LA. Sure. Um, but also, a lot of the formative um, experiences you had as a young person. Um, and the book kind of begins with know your experience with your family your parents and how that kind of shaped you 
and we all kind of have our wounds, yes. um, but it sounds like yours was significantly more traumatic than most. Just curious, kind of, if you could tell people a bit about what happened and kind of how that shaped you early on. Well, you know, um, Garrett, I think the, the dynamic of, let's just set it up from possibly even before I was born, mm. because there is something based on the Monroe work that we have done where I've had experiences that have basically shown me that this was possibly, you know, something that I chose. Yeah. And I still had a, um, from the time I was very little, I had this vision of flying over the, the lush green mountains of Pennsylvania. And I, I think that that was an imprint somehow about me coming in and, and living there. Mm -hmm. So the dynamic also is, hearing the cries of my mother and I think that she was praying for something to change her life mm -hmm. and I was born my sister is 11 years older than me so mm -hmm. I came in but the dynamics started really young I mean I remember being one year old at um, being on a blanket in North Carolina at the beach and I could feel that something was wrong with my family yeah. I didn't have any language about it but I could feel each person and and I knew that something was wrong. So mm -hmm. it began like that. So I was prepped for it in some way. Right, so from, from early on, it sounds like you had the sense that you were asked for, like you were yeah. kind of a response to a prayer, but also at the same time, somewhat unwanted because you came along way after your sister, your parents probably thought of you as quote unquote mistake, which is yes. horrible. Yeah, you, yeah people hear child. that, exactly, you hear that, yeah. Um, but nonetheless, that was your experience. Mm -hmm. And sort of the facts on the ground where you had a mother that was abusive and yes. a father that had issues with alcoholism and was really not present. Well, you know, I, I think that this is the American part of yeah. this book. Yeah, yeah. Because my father was a war veteran. I mean, yeah. he came back from the war and he was in a body cast. And he was supposed to be an officer, basically. Mm -hmm. he, he went in as a, as a captain at 26 and came back, you know, in a body cast. And that was not my mother's dream. Yeah. She, she was from the, the uh, tobacco farms of North Carolina. So it disappointed her, of course, and my father drank. And mm -hmm. this is the nature, the codependent nature, that I believe that has been part of America for so long. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's obviously um, a tough situation for a kid to be in. Yeah. Um, but you developed various ways of handling it. And I think we all do, right? Yeah. Like, I sort of believe that our personalities, our egos um, are shaped kind of in response to various types of wounding we experience. It's basically a defense mechanism. Absolutely, and we are so resilient. Children yeah. are incredibly resilient. So I watched my mother watch TV. She mm -hmm. loved that TV. She loved that soap opera. Yeah. She loved that. And I thought, wow, if I can get into that box, yeah. Maybe she will love me and not hurt me. Mm -hmm. Because she medicated with Darvacet and Valium, yeah. and those two combinations, you know, yes, she, there was some mental illness here. We don't know exactly what it was because mm -hmm. it was back in the day when that wasn't actually diagnosed. diagnosed yeah. So she, her raging was really quite. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was so really intense. No skillful means to handle this. It's all kind of taken on, on you. Yes. And um, you developed, I guess, kind of a couple ways of coping. I mean, one was acting. I yes. think you credit that with your survival in a lot of 
ways. Well, absolutely. I think that I pretended with her, mm -hmm. and this was something that was really hard for me um, years later when I recognized that I had been not being authentic, but how how you be authentic as a child in a dynamic yeah. where you have to pretend in order to survive her. Yeah. I mean, it's like she would be on her on on the sofa lounging, watching her soap operas, and just talking about people and just trashing them. And I sat mm -hmm. in a chair with my feet not even able to touch the floor, pretending like, oh, okay, and listening to her, almost like an armchair therapist. Mm -hmm. And pretending that that was okay. Meanwhile, I'm just giddy that she's not attacking me. Yeah, yeah. So, so that pretending you know, yes. launched into acting and getting on television. Right, so you got skillful at that, mm -hmm. pretending to be someone else. Um, but I was precocious, so I had some talent. Yes. So that was good, yeah. Yes, still are precocious. <laughs> um, and I guess the other skill that you acquired as part of this is actually going out from your body yeah. as the abuse was happening. Disassociation. Yeah. Yeah. So to you, was it just kind of a psychological thing, or did you feel like you were actually physically out of body, like a classical kind of TMI, OBE sense? You know what, that's kind of interesting because yeah. I've really never had what we call a classic OB, um, OBE, okay. except once when I was doing Robert Bruce's class, uh -huh. and I was I was laying there, and all of a sudden I popped open my eyes, and my astral body was over there, uh -huh. and she, was, she had a different hair color, and I'm like, hey, why do you look like that? And then she took off down the hallway. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't me as the astral body, it was me watching her. So I think for me, it's more important for me to stay together mm -hmm. and use that as disassociation as bilocation. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so thanks for clarifying that distinction. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, because I do detail a, a section in the book where I am bilocating to a window well, which is, do you know window wells back east? It's kind of like, um, it's how you let light in, in the basement. Oh, okay. There's a semicircle mm -hmm. down about this deep. Yeah. And I was bilocating to see some toads when something was happening to me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that my toads were in there, but I could smell the earth and see the toads. So right. The, so that sense of bilocation became very acute. Right, so these are all kind of, so now we're kind of getting into more psi phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, but you didn't really consider yourself to have psychic gifts no. until much later in life. Well, there were a couple of weird things that happened. Okay. So there, there was a time when <laughs> I was at, a, at the next door neighbor's house and it was close to Thanksgiving and I was waiting for um, my older friend to come in the door. She was mm -hmm. really the most beautiful girl in town. And mm -hmm. She was really sweet, like a, another sister. And I was looking at the bread and I was breaking it up and all of a sudden, just like a movie, it's as though I saw in my consciousness the woman's boyfriend in the parking lot of the hospital and he was talking with a nurse and I could feel his feelings that he wanted to break up with her, the woman that was in the house, and he didn't want to buy her a Christmas present and he wanted to be with this nurse. Yeah. And I told the woman this. Yeah. So I, she got I'm sure she was grateful. She, yeah. was, <laughs> she was really upset. Right. But she did marry him. So Okay. Know, but but that but that's things like that would happen briefly. But so but they were coming through on a regular basis, more or less, it sounds well, like early on. Well well, not regular. Okay. Sort of odd times, mm -hmm. very odd times, where I needed to make a note that this was happening. Mm -hmm. But people sort of talked about it and I ended up um, 
being invited to uh, a bazaar. They had a bazaar at a, one of the churches where people had tents and everything. And they told me they wanted me to be a, a fortune teller. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I took the hand of someone. like, And I wanted to look at his hand because I... I heard about palm reading, yeah. but it wasn't looking at the lines. Mm -hmm. It was actually holding his hand yeah. where I saw him marrying somebody from another church the mm -hmm. next the next um, summer. Uh huh. And, so. and it happened. So. <laughs> he was excited. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so you started to develop these, I guess, kind of as a teenager, sort of in jest, so, sort of seriously, but you had real psychic um, impressions coming through, I yes. guess. Mm -hmm. And so as you got older, how did you kind of take the turn and say, okay, this is something that is real, that I want to develop, and how did you go about cultivating that? Well, I, I think that the most dramatic thing that happened was that accident with my horse. Mm -hmm. When I was basically, I, to make a long story short, you got to read it in the book, but the dynamic of it was I was in trouble with my horse and I couldn't control her and I've been a, I was a rider for a long time mm -hmm. so I know what to do with the horse but I was in a situation that was between a rock and a hard place yeah. and I thought that I was going to be okay and I heard no mm -hmm. you're not and they, I was told by this voice what to do and I and it basically saved my life because mm -hmm. I would, had to do exactly what they told me to do or else I probably would have been dead that sp specific incident mm -hmm. it was Memorial Day you know, when I was 15 years old, mm -hmm. that changed everything. Hit my tailbone, yeah. radiated the frequency, okay. hit my head. So you have head injury, yeah. you have stimulation to the whole kundalini part of your body. Yeah. And your whole brain is completely scrambled. Right. So it's interesting, and you talk about this in the book, how people that have had traumatic injury, brain injury, yes. PTSD, they're often the best remote viewers. Right. Um, and so this is, you know, what's happened to you at this point. Right. Um, and so of course, I didn't know anything about that. I right. didn't know that for, until 25 years, or 30 years later. Right. So probably did not seem like a blessing at the time. Oh, no. Yeah. It, it, was, it was really dramatic, and it was very emotional. Mm -hmm. I could not get my sense of self back. And I got a C in typing that summer. <laughs> Because of some physical disability? Physical disability, yeah. and I was a twirler, I was a baton twirler, uh -huh. and I dropped my batons a lot, and broke up with boyfriends, and yeah. there was, I was scrambled. Uh -huh. um, so this is part of the evolution now. Yeah. Um, and then you also talk about fear as kind of a, or fear as an element that heightens your sensitivity to yeah. these types of side phenomena. Mm -hmm. How does that kind of play into it for you? Well, when I got older, um, and got away from my home and started living you know, living in the world, yeah. there were a number of situations where I was put in a, in a situation of being drugged and raped. Oh. So that was, if, if that's gonna happen to you, might as well go that way because mm. I had consciousness around it, but I couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, we didn't know about date rape drugs at those times. Yeah. And then there were a number of situations in the book, of course, that are, they're, they are, well, they're exciting because I basically don't handle the rape very well. So yeah. I, what do I do? I, I send a note to a Cosmopolitan Bachelor of the Month and right. decide to go on a, on a trip. Yeah. So my judgment at that time, yeah. after that happened, was skewed. I, I couldn't go to law enforcement because I didn't feel that 
I, I mean, I felt I was a witness to right. rape, as opposed to, you know, the actual victim. It was right. very discombobulated. I didn't handle it well. Yeah, well, I mean, just, didn't you know, have... even me, like, having read the book, I mean, the stomach churning, reading that, yeah. like, knowing you, like, knowing that people can be taken advantage of that, it's, yeah. you know, really quite upsetting. It is. Um, and so there's fear coming in here, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's fear going back to your mother. Yes. Um, and so this is kind of a big dynamic for you in your life at this yes. point. It literally is. I, I think it's the, uh, the narcissistic disturbance of having people broach your boundaries all the yeah. time. And, and this is, and you're a parent. Yeah. I mean, you, you understand the, the damage that this causes. Yes. Spanking, yelling, bullying. All the things that are right now in our right. face. All the reasons that my kids will be in therapy 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're handling it a lot differently. <laughs> but um. So let's talk a bit about that. As you became an adult um, and became conscious of you know, your growing psychic abilities, but also um, you know, the traumas that you would experience, and how that had shaped you as an adult. And you know, you talk about, you know, going home to visit and kind of taking on this form of like this small child again, yeah. feeling small and defenseless. And um, so you're becoming very aware of these patterns, yeah. and, you know, how it shaped you. Sure. How did you start to work through all of that? Well, I moved far, far, far away. Uh -huh. <laughs> I moved yeah. to the other side of the country. And I learned that I could be triggered with just a phone call. Mm -hmm. I could be triggered by just a voice. Mm -hmm. And so when I started working in therapy, actually, what's interesting is the first half of the book is called blind sight, mm -hmm. which is the, it's a medical term that means a blind person who has the ability to perceive a light source. Yeah. And so as a child or any, any of us, we're trying to work through the darkness of, of the traumas of any parts of our life yeah. into the light of transformation. And the second half of the book is called Insight because that's when I really start healing this. Mm -hmm. And then all of this stuff starts happening. All mm -hmm. of the awareness, the synchronicities of, of being put in James Wan Prague's house, yeah. of being trained by the U.S. military psychic spies. Mm -hmm. And then all of these things. I mean, blessing after blessing, even though some of it's even challenging mm -hmm. in itself, that's when it all like started. So I, I think it's, it's key to have the the work, you have to do the work. Right. Because people who are empathic have had this background on yeah. some level, yeah. but you need boundaries. You have to have boundaries, and you've got to be able to work through this stuff right. with a trained facilitator. It's yes. my belief system around this. Well, at least it worked for me, so. Well, I think it's really important to have a conversation about this because so many people out there have similar types of wounding mm -hmm. and think that there's something wrong with them, um, they're deficient, it's not okay. Or they start medicating. Or they start self-medicating. Self-medicating yeah. is, the, is the, a huge problem Yes. This. So it's so important to remove the stigma from it. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of your process, it sounds like it was a mixture of kind of um, working with an ordinary experience and also extraordinary experience. Yeah. But if we kind of begin with the ordinary, what types of therapy did you go through? Was it all conventional? Was it hypnosis-based? What sort of modalities did you Well, I, I went to a marriage family counselor mm -hmm. right off the bat. 
really lovely, sweet, but very smart woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really key. When you have a wounding from a parent, whether it's a father or mother, it's important to get other people into your life that are good examples of, of that opposite sex yes. or that sex. Because the dynamic of teachers is what got me through school. Mm -hmm. And that was really essential. Women who had character that I could trust. Yeah. And this woman reflected back to me what a good mother might be like. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started to heal. Yeah, so she's modeling it for you basically. Absolutely, in the early was... 90s is when this all started. And then I was also in life coaching. Uh -huh. having, a, a, having a guy, yeah. having a man being so strong and having the wherewithal that I, he could protect me. He could uh -huh. get me out of Germany if I needed uh -huh. one, you know? <laughs> So that was, that was key. You have to find those people. And the key and one of the threads of this whole book is trusting that there is a spiritual consciousness mm -hmm. that is hearing the prayers, not necessarily delivering them the way that we want, yeah. but there is this consciousness, this larger consciousness or this spirit that keeps guiding, yeah. helping, you know, assisting, giving you messages. And that's, that's, you know, that's really the essence of the book. Right. And, you know, you had many instances of that, kind of going back to your horse incident and even before that. Mm -hmm. But as you started to work um, with uh, TMI, Monroe Institute, yeah. you had kind of a whole series of events that sounded like they were transformational for you. Yes, and I and I squeezed them. I squeezed three years down into a couple chapters. A chapter, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I started. I had been wanting to go to the Monroe Institute since the time that I was trained by Lynn Buchanan, who uh -huh. was telling me all about that, and that was in the um, mid '90s mm -hmm. that I found Lynn, and it took me until 2000, <coughs> two, 2010 to get there, yeah. get to Monroe, and then I was there 2011, 12, 13, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I continue to, you know, use the Hemisync programming. Part of the Hemisync programming, part of what I, you know, oh, yes. I'm sorry, I don't have no, 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 a t-shirt. Yeah, you're not branding. Okay. <laughs> okay, I need to be branded. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've used, there's one particular thing that I love. It's called Chakra Journey. Oh. And it's, it's not a guided meditation. It is, it is by Nora Beats. But I use that a lot of the time when I was working law enforcement cases. Uh -huh. And I would listen, I wouldn't do it straight on from one up until seven. I would mix all those chakra things all over the place. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the one of the things in the opening of the book when I'm um, working that sci-fi yeah. case for, it was a pilot that didn't go for sci-fi, but I was working in the um, uh, evidence locker. Yeah. I had been on my back in the car listening to Chakra oh, is that right? And I come in there and I start to feel the perpetrator stuff. Yeah. And then I turn, or, or the victim stuff, and all of a sudden I start feeling perpetrator stuff. Yeah. Which was really interesting. Yeah. Proving that that possibility of the perpetrator was dead. Mm-hmm. So and that was wild. It was one of the most unique experiences ever with Hemisync. Right. So that is something that I wanted to ask you about. So you've done a lot of pretty grisly psychic detective work, mm. you know, in concert with law enforcement, where you actually go into the headspace, basically, of either the victim or the perpetrator. Right. And so what's that like for you? Is there any kind of hangover effect from that? I mean, that seems like it can really kind of shake you. Well, shake well um, in the beginning of my youth, 
Um, mm -hmm. I detail three murders that happened. I mean, it was a small town in Pennsylvania. You don't yeah. have three murders back to back. And I knew those people. So yeah. that started my curiosity because I had to take care of myself. Yeah. I mean, there was mm -hmm. nobody to sort of like help me through this. Mm -hmm. And I got really curious about murder. Yeah. So by the time that these other situations started happening, I started working in law enforcement, I guess there had been enough on TV that sort of desensitizes you. Mm -hmm. You know, there were a lot of television programs that were helpful. I remember the Wild Wild West and even um, uh, Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the kinds of shows growing up where there was violence, but something was preparing me to do this. Mm -hmm. However, when I first started the remote viewing, when I first started training, yeah. I had some problems with it. Mm -hmm. And Lynn Buchanan says, well, we didn't do any of that in the classes because I would do you know, as targets that were murders and things. Mm -hmm. Because they, um, it's clear that they want to train you to do this. But when we were off on our own and training with other friends and working stuff, yeah. I, would, I was given targets that were murders. Yeah. And there were a couple of things, and this is what's really interesting about allowing your consciousness, like in remote viewing, to identify things. Mm -hmm. I'm here, but yet there's a part of me part of my consciousness mm -hmm. that is bilocating to the to the site. Yeah. And I would be feeling things that I didn't know what they were, mm -hmm. but my consciousness could see them. So that was curious. Mm -hmm. I had to really learn how to handle that yeah. because I had um, been working with law enforcement and there was one particular case Should I tell you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You said it afterwards. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, okay, good. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. There was. I wasn't trained enough as a remote viewer. Uh -huh. I was basically seeing things without using controlled remote viewing. Okay. I was doing this naturally, uh -huh. but I. I was tracking a serial killer. Okay. And I kept hearing the name Mandy. Mandy and I was working with the FBI at the time and I just said I know it's 4th of July weekend I know he's gonna hit and I had given them enough information about tracking this guy but what happened was um, he had picked up someone that looked like the young girl type that he was um, basically taking as, vic as his victims and it was a young boy and what he did to that boy because basically I could see part of what happened and then they did find him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a name, like a person. It was a town named Mandy. Mm. Oh, no kidding. So he did strike over the 4th of July weekend. There was nothing that I could do about it. Yeah. And that boy died. Uh -huh. So I took a break. Yeah. That was 1998. Yeah. And I really didn't start back up until I... Yeah, I didn't start back up for a number of years. But that did me in. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. So did you have some type of a ritual you would go through afterwards, like a cleansing? <laughs> I mean, you don't just want to get dinner after that, right? I mean, well, it wasn't like that. It wasn't It wasn't the visceral of blood. It was more that the, the sadness that there, someone else went through this. Yeah. Although it's been my experience, you know, working with dead people now, that the soul, that people are ripped out of their body before something really tragic happens. Yeah. So that the, the, the person doesn't need to feel that. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I know that that's true based on having abuse done to my body, yeah. what my consciousness would do, yeah. but, you know, as a, as a living person, I would have to come back to the body yeah. and deal with that. But people that have been murdered, because I've worked a lot of murder cases, mm -hmm. they have been ripped out. So when they want to come in and talk to their deceased loved ones, the loved ones are still upset, and they come in basically, I'm fine, I'm yeah. fine. And sometimes they even make jokes. Yeah. And the, and their family, I'm always dialoguing between the consciousness of the person that was murdered and the family who's still sad. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing dialogue between the two of them so that they can integrate, because it's really all about the love. Yeah. It's about that love. Right, and so as you commune with the departed, mm -hmm. can you tell us how you experience that psychic space? Um, Give me, be more specific. So I believe you speak a bit about, you know, how the screen goes blank for you. Well, well, no, I don't know. I don't remember necessarily saying the screen goes blank, so we might edit this out. Okay. Um, when I am tapping into someone, it's like, here's your house, if, if I was living here and I was getting ready to work with somebody, yeah. I might be in the kitchen, you know, making myself a cup of something, and all of a sudden, I see I see a car going over an embankment. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that's not me, it's not my cocoa, it's not my coffee. Yeah. I better make a note about this. So mm -hmm. I carry a, a, a yellow legal pad with me and I write that down. Mm -hmm. And I have to go on with my day, I have to get in the shower, get myself together, and then as I'm maybe plucking an eyebrow or two, I might see that there was drinking involved and that there was an argument that happened beforehand mm -hmm. so that when they went over the, the edge that this is why this happened. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's really important information right. for deceased loved ones, the mm -hmm. deceased loved ones, to know that there was an argument, that there was something that actually happened. So I'm getting details of what the dead are trying to show me yep. even before I sit down and work with their loved one. So it sounds like you're kind of getting a data stream yes. in fragments yes. within ordinary consciousness. Yes, that's exactly right. But what is the trigger is my intention. Mm -hmm. if, if people call me and say, I need you to take a look at something, I'm like, don't, 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 don't even look, don't let me look right now. Okay. Because as soon as I get a name or, or what, what it's about, I'll look, my consciousness will go there and it will go to the data stream yeah. or the data stream will come to me. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the nature of the benevolence of this larger consciousness system, mm -hmm. giving me access to that data stream. I mean, I could just be sitting in the house and all of a sudden it starts, it starts to crawl in. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? I have to get boundaries around this. This mm -hmm. is why if you're empathic, it is crucial to learn boundaries. You know, thank God I had all of the trauma that I did in order to train me for boundaries. Yeah. Because people are walking around open, not knowing what to do. Information's coming from all over the place. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is for me, I really have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. You ask about how do I, how do I handle this? Mm -hmm. You know, after a big session, I will take a bath. I will go to if I can get to the beach and yeah. be in the salt water. That's great. Uh -huh. um, I like pressure. Remember um, Temple Grandlin, the movie Temple Grandlin with Claire Danes. I don't think so. You've got to watch it because right. she had an, uh, she was on a 
um, autism spectrum mm -hmm. where she needed a squeeze box. If I had a squeeze box at home <laughs> that I could crawl in and squeeze, that would press out some of the information for me. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had a if I had a man around, <laughs> that might help too. You know, yeah. squeeze me to get some of it out. But what I do use is a weighted blanket. Ah, okay. A 20, 30 pound weighted blanket that I just get under and I can relax uh -huh. or I'll go get a massage, pushing that out of me. Uh-huh. So yeah. mostly water and pressure. Water, pressure. Okay, and very pressure, interesting. Yeah. And then one other thing that you mentioned that you find to be helpful, which I've heard. And massage. Sorry. And massage. Well, and massage. That's yeah. also yeah. pressure. But it's also um, movement. Yeah. Oh, well, hiking too. Okay. We, we can't forget that. We have to we have to get back into the yoga, mm -hmm. the breathing, the breathing, the breath work is really important. Mm -hmm. And hiking, physical exercise, breathing, breathing it out, moving it out. Yeah, that all sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. And grounding activities. Um, and so one other thing that you mentioned as being helpful, and I've heard other psychics talk about this as well, is having a physical object um, that belongs to the party, I guess, or looks, or maybe a picture yeah. of the party, yeah. something. Some, yeah, sometimes that's a really good link. That psychometry is fascinating to me because, you know, when this all started and this was, you know, happening to me, I didn't know anything about psychometry. Mm -hmm. And it was a college friend of mine who called me and said, you know, this is why I was, when I was still acting, he was an actor and said, I heard you turned into some sort of psychic or something. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this murder that happened in my hometown. Can, can you work it? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know, bring it to me. And he hands me this black and white photo. I'm sitting here, he's sitting there, and boom, I was literally in the field at nighttime where she was murdered. Yeah. It was like a movie. You know, um, the Sherlock uh, series with uh, Cumberbatch, what's his name? Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. yeah. That series shows and works with camera angles the way that my mind works. Okay. It's really the best way to describe how this happened. Good. So that's it's like it snaps right in there. Uh -huh. And I was there and it was at nighttime and I was experiencing what was happening. I basically knew the guy and I turned around and he hit me with a piece of wood. Yeah. And I was like, why did you do that? My feeling was like, and I knew the guy's name. I'm like, why did you do that? So as Carol, the girl in the photograph, I was able to give different pieces of information that was enough to, that he gave to an investigative reporter and they reopened the case. Uh-huh. That's got to be very gratifying. Well, to some degree. Yeah. But the piece of wood was in an evidence locker in the basement at a courthouse that had a flood in it, so the, the, um, the evidence was inadmissible. Uh, yeah. It's okay. They brought him to justice in that town. Mm -hmm. Good. The way they could. And that's all the departed can really ask for. So, in doing all this work with the departed, what do you think the dead have taught you? Well, first off, I know that there is some part of consciousness that needs to bear witness to what they have done. Mm. It's it's as though I have people coming in that want to want to apologize to their loved ones. Sometimes they want forgiveness. So there is something that needs to happen between this realm and the other, which is about forgiveness and about love and about appreciation mm -hmm. of, of what we have been able to do together as a family dynamic, moving consciousness forward. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't have a lot of family, so I get to feel all the love. Mm -hmm. And the love is just so extraordinary that consciousness in some data stream 
loves their, just their living loved ones so much that they will seek someone like me out to make that happen. Yeah. And I have a story that just happened. I had to have a, a biopsy or something. And when I was in there, I was talking to the technician about being hypersensitive and very, very sensitive. I'm talking about the book coming out. And she, after the biopsy happened, she asked me, well, what do you do? And I explained it to her. Mm -hmm. And she said, do you see things? And I said, I see things in people's bodies. And I try not to go where I'm not invited. <laughs> so I basically said, do you want me to tell you what I see? And I told her. So mm -hmm. I saw digestive and eye stuff and leg stuff and hip stuff and... And, and all of those things. And then I said, and you, you talk to your mother every day. Mm. She said, well, she's dead. Mm. I said, I know. She wants to talk about your sister who died. And there were names that came through. But the thing that was the most dramatic was that her father came in and said, I need you to forgive me. Mm. And at that moment, I grabbed her and I said, if I had to come in here and have this biopsy just to tell you that, <laughs> wouldn't that be weird? And that's basically what happened. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't that be bizarre? Wouldn't that be amazing that this consciousness system would set something up like that? Yeah. To have that need, that desire, that connection. Because I think that her heart is possibly damaged somehow from that that dynamic with her father. Yeah. So it's literally about love and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Even beyond the beyond, veil. Beyond what we can see. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. And then you also have this beautiful Marla quote in the book mm -hmm. um, about how love relates to prayer. Yeah, I can't remember my actual quote in there, but you'll have to buy the book in order to get it. Sure. But but the dynamic of prayer is not just an asking, you know, a begging for help. Yeah. It literally is a dialogue of intention. I'm intentioning the consciousness to give me something that will help me through this. Yeah. And it might not be what you think is the answer to your prayers. You know, people yeah. are always asking me, give me a lot of money. Well, it might be that you have to have that money removed in order for you to actually build a muscle here. Yeah. And in building that muscle, all sorts of different people come into your life. Yeah. And that would never would have happened had yeah. you had a, you know, a pile of money just dumped in your lap. Right. <laughs> so the, the quote itself, mm -hmm. just because I think it is so beautiful, is... Um, if you had the book, American Psychic, you would know this. <laughs> it is, prayer is not begging for help, but a generous expression of love. Yeah. That's yeah, very well put, I think. It's, it's self-love. Yeah. And it's also love for someone else. Mm -hmm. When we are praying for our loved ones, we are praying for something to happen for our loved ones. Yeah. And when we're praying for ourselves, we are asking, it's an intention for ourselves that the universe that the consciousness, that God, whatever you want to call this larger consciousness system, and there's a lot of names in the book that I use, but that that intention will give us what we need. And we are so stubborn. Oh my God. No, no, no. It's that, it's that old, remember the old joke of the guy that the waters are rising and the, and the, the floods are happening, the guy in a boat says, come on, get in the boat. No, no, no. God will yeah, say. Yeah, God will say. Yeah, God's gonna say it. Yeah. And then you're on the you're on the uh, roof, yeah. and a helicopter comes. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> God will save me. Yeah. 
those are messages. Pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marla, thanks for coming to talk to us. Um, I hope you guys will all go and check out American Psychic. On Amazon or your local bookstore. Well, actually, it's in Barnes and Noble, but the best way to buy it, and, and there's the Kindle version out now, so it is on Amazon, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, Simon Schuster, and the uh, Post Hill Press, which is the publisher. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining us, folks. Thank and thank you, you Marla. Thank Talk you. Talk to you guys next time.